Chapter Seven of the Jackknife Man by Ellis Parker Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, Rivals. Thundering cats! Cried Peter with exasperation when the tramp had ha hawed and grinned through two more verses of the idiotic song. I've got to go outside and tend to this boat. "'You play with your toys a minute now, buddy,' said Bouge, as soon as Peter was outside. "'My voice is such a delicate voice, I got to rest it between songs, or it's liable to get sick and die away for good. You wait till I rest it, and I'll sing about that funny dog you've got there, if you remember to ask me.' He took his few belongings from the valise and hung them before the fire, and then, crawling into the bunk, settled himself comfortably and went to sleep. When Peter came in a minute later, with feet and legs chilled, Bouge was snoring. "'Get up here,' said Peter, shaking him. "'You better not wake up Bouge, Uncle Peter,' said Buddy. "'He's got to get his voice rested up.' "'You get up and get your boots on quick, and come out here and help me,' Peter commanded the tramp. We got to get this boat afloat quick, or we'll be here all winter. All right, Captain Kidd, said Bouge cheerfully. And you remember to ask me to sing you that song about the funny dog, he told Buddy. The slough was now free from floating river ice, but Peter noticed that the wind was still from the east. This should have kept the ice running through the slough. He knew the ice must have jammed at the head of the slough, and that it might act as a dam, lowering the water in the slough enough to make it impossible to move the boat. He was working at the pike pole, but with poor success, and when Bouge came out, their combined efforts seemed to accomplish no more. But Peter knew the boat must be moved, and long after Bouge wanted to give it up as a bad job, Peter made him labor at the pole. By standing on the landward edge of the deck and joggling the boat as they pushed on the pole, they succeeded in inching the shanty boat toward deeper water, and at length she floated free and swung down the current. Where the lake narrowed and ended, Peter ran the boat against the shore, letting her rest against a fallen tree. It was a precarious position and one in which it would not be safe to leave the boat if the river ice ran again, but just above this, where the lake widened, Peter saw a safe harbor. Fifty feet out from the southern shore of the lake a bar had formed, and between the bar and the shore there was deep water enough to float the boat. To break the ice of this cove, warp the boat around the point and into this snug harbor was Peter's intention. His only cable had snapped close to the boat when she broke away, and he made Bouge hold the bow of the boat close against the bank while he hastily twisted a makeshift rope of trot lines, hooks and all. With Bouge on the shore dragging the rope end, and Peter breaking the ice with his pike pole from the deck and pushing with the pole, the shanty boat moved slowly out of the current of the slough and into the quiet water where, as the river fell, it would be stranded with its hull in the mud, 
as safe from danger as if on top of one of the hills two miles back from the slough. It was hard work, the hardest Bouge had tackled for years, and it consumed the balance of the day. When the two men went inside, Peter did not complain when Bouge threw himself on the bunk. If Bouge imagined he had won an easy and permanent victory, leading to a life of listless ease, he misestimated Buddy and Peter. Buddy alone could have kept him busy, but Peter let Bouge know immediately that if he was to stay even a day, he must earn his food and lodging. The tramp was an odd combination of good nature and laziness, of good intentions and poor fulfillments. He could twang a banjo, when he had one to twang, and his present low estate was due to the untimely end of the career of a medicine show, one of those numerous half-vaudeville, half-peddling aggregations that at that time filled the country, charging a dime for admission to the show and a dollar a bottle for the remedy. Out of the hidden past, Bouge had dropped into the position of General Roustabout for the show, caring for the tent, doing a banjo turn when the artist went on his regular spree, and driving the wagon when the show moved from town to town. When the final catastrophe came, Bouge sold his banjo and started on the trail of another medicine show. It fled as he advanced and his garments decayed, were replaced with cast-off clothes, until he awoke one morning with a sharp realization that he was no longer a specialist seeking a position, but a common everyday tramp. It did not annoy him at all. Being a tramp had advantages. He accepted it as his ultimate destiny. Caught near Riverbank by the cold weather, he recalled Lone Tree Lake, where the duck hunters usually had a shack or a shanty boat, vacant at this season, and he left the main road only to find nothing but the scant shelter of the duck blind. Peter's boat, when it appeared, had seemed a gift from the gods. The shore against which the boat now lay was a thicket of willows so close of growth that it was almost impossible to fight through them. And while most were no larger than whips, some were as large as a man's wrist. Against the low bank the boat lay broadside, and so close that the willow branches reached over her roof, and as soon as Bouge had brought his valise inside, Peter reached far under the bunk and brought forth an axe. Now, Bouge ain't going to have time to sing songs to you daytimes, buddy, because everybody that lives in this boat has work to do, said Peter. And as I've got to make some spoons, Bouge is going to take this axe and clear away a path through the willows. And you want to cut them off close down to the roots, he warned Bouge, or you'll have to do it over again. You cut a path from the front door through that willow clump so we can pass in and out and get firewood, and when you've got the path you can fetch the firewood. I'm going to stay in today and make spoons." Bouge took the axe and looked at it quizzically. "'Well, if this ain't my old friend Wood Splitter I've been dodging for years and years,' he said good-naturedly. "'How do, Wood Splitter? How's your cousin Bucksaw?' Is all the little bucksaws well? 
"'You better get at them willows,' said Peter. "'I just wanted to inquire about them old friends of mine,' said Booge. "'You'll have time enough to talk to Mr. Woodaxe before you get done with him,' said Peter dryly, and Booge laughed and went out. That evening, when Buddy was in bed, Peter put down his jackknife long enough to scribble down the new variations of the Tell the Little Baby song. "'Writin' a book?' Booge asked. "'Writing home to my folks to tell them how much I'm enjoying your visit,' Peter said, "'and how sorry I am you've got to be moving along in a day or so.' But Booge did not move along. After Peter had ostentatiously bathed once or twice, Booge became painfully clean. He would come in from the jobs Peter set him and wash his face and hands violently. "'You're getting as clean as them fellows that get five dollars' worth of baths at the Y.M.C.A., ain't you?' Peter said scornfully. "'A feller can get lots of things at the Y.M.C.A. for five dollars that he can't get without it,' said Booge good-naturedly. "'You don't want to knock me all the time, Peter.' A horse crops grass one way, and a cow crops it another way, and the Lord is the maker of them all, as the feller said. So long as a man has a clean conscience and a clear eye, he can walk right up to any bull alive, if the bull wants to let him. "'I'm glad you got a clean conscience,' said Peter. "'Maybe that's why you don't worry.' "'If you feed a pig regular, it don't ask to be petted,' said Booge. "'And that's the way with me. "'But you ought to give me some credit for the way I pitched in and labored in this here driftwood vineyard when you said to. "'I bet the prodigal son hated to get down to work after his pa's party, "'and yet he got to be quite a respected feller in his neighborhood. "'You oughtn't to think a man can't work because he don't.' There's lots of fellers never seen the sea that has eat salt codfish. I guess you read that in a book, said Peter. I guess not, said Booge. I never read but one book in my life. I read the Bible, unexpurgated edition, when I was a kid, and it sort of cured me of book reading. There ain't hardly a comfortable word in it for an easy-going man. If the Bible had been published today, it would have got some mighty severe criticism. Booge, said Peter suddenly, how'd you ever happen to become a tramp? How'd you ever happen to become a shanty boatman? asked Booge, grinning, but Peter was serious. I guess you're right about that, he said. I hadn't ought to object to what you are, when I'm what I am. I just let myself slide was how. I had bad lungs was what was the matter with me when I was a kid, so my pa bought me a farm and put a man on it to run it for me, and I just fooled around and tried to get husky and stout, and by the time I was old enough to run the farm, father busted. And then a certain circumstances took the farm from me, and I took to the river. It seemed like me and the river was old friends from ever so far back. So I stuck to it, and it stuck to me, and that's the story. 
"'Just run downhill,' commented Booge cheerfully. "'It's funny, ain't it, that water's about the only thing that don't get blamed for running downhill? You and the river sort of run down together. What started me was something just about as common as lungs. It was wives. Yes, sir, plain wives.' "'Don't mean to say you had two of them, asked Peter. "'Almost,' said Booge. "'I had one half of that many. "'I'm a naturally happy man, "'and I've had all sorts of ups and downs, "'and as near as I can make out, "'a man can be happy in most any circumstances "'except where he don't give his wife the clothes she wants. "'My notion of hell is a place where a man has fifty wives,' and no money to buy clothes for him. My wife got to going through my pockets every night for money to buy clothes, so I skipped out. "'You don't mean to say a woman would rob a man's pockets whilst he was asleep?' asked Peter. "'Was that what she done? Took money from them?' "'No. The trouble was she didn't find no money to take,' said Booge. Light on money and strong on breath was what was my trouble. He made an expressive drinking motion with his hand. Booze, he said. Booze done it. You ought to quit it, Peter said. You don't seem like a common tramp. I wouldn't let you stay here if you was. Look at the harm booze done you. Look at what it done when you went to sleep in that duck blind. "'That's so,' agreed Booge. "'I've got me a good shanty-boat to sleep in, and three square meals a day, and a place to practice my voice in. But I suppose you mean it got me where I have to listen to temperance lectures from you.' That was sort of hard on Peter. Although he would not have admitted it, he was growing fond of the careless happy-go-lucky tramp. Booge had a fund of rough philosophy, and, more than all else, he was good to Buddy, and had not Peter resolved to be a different man himself on Buddy's account, he would have liked nothing better than to have Booge make his winter home in the shanty-boat. But he felt that Booge must go. The trouble was to drive him away. Booge would not drive, and Peter thought of a hundred quite impossible schemes for getting rid of him before he hit on the one he finally decided to put into effect. He had noticed that the farmer on the hill back of the lake, where Buddy had spent the day of his mother's funeral, had a huge pile of cordwood in his yard, and he tramped across the lowland to the farmer's house and dickered for the sawing of the wood. It was a large contract, and Peter, as a rule, did not care to saw wood except in dire straits, but he had decided that if he was to be a man of worth, he must be a man of work to begin with and the woodpile was opportunity. It was while walking home after making his bargain with his farmer friend that he had his happy idea. Booge must saw wood. His food supply would be cut off otherwise. He explained it to Booge that evening. Here they were in the shanty-boat, Peter explained, the two of them and Buddy, all eating from the common store of food and that store dwindling daily. Buddy could not work, but Peter could. And Booge must. 
Then he explained about the pile of wood, a good winter's work for the two of them. Booge listened in silence. He was silent for several minutes after Peter ceased talking, and then he grinned. "'The man that says he wouldn't rather find a silver dollar in the road than earn five dollars a workin' is like that man that got killed with a thunderbolt for careless conversation,' he said cheerfully. "'So I won't say it. Woodson and me has been enemies ever since I became a tourist. I guess I'll have to go.' "'I bet you would,' said Peter. "'Yes,' said Booge. "'I'll have to go up to that farmer's and saw wood.' His eyes twinkled as he saw Peter's face fall, and he was as good as his word. The two men, taking turns carrying Buddy or leading him by the hand, walked across the snow-covered bottom to the farm the next morning, and while Booge did not overexert himself, he at least sawed wood. He sawed enough to prevent any unduly harsh criticism from Peter. For Buddy the trips were pleasant jaunts. He was able to play all day with the farmer's little daughter, just enough older than he to hold her own against his imperious little will, and Booge might have developed into an excellent sawer of wood, but one morning the little girl did not come out to play with Buddy. She was sick, and in due time Buddy became sick too. Plain, simple measles. "'Now then,' said Peter, when one morning he awakened to find Buddy's face covered with the red spots and the boy complaining, "'One of us has got to stay here in the boat and take care of Buddy.' "'You'd better stay,' said Booge promptly. "'You stay, Peter, and I'll go on up and saw wood. I'm getting quite fond of it.' Peter hesitated. He ran his hand over the boy's white head lovingly. "'Who do you want to stay with you, Buddy?' he asked. "'I don't care, Uncle Peter,' said Buddy listlessly. It was a full minute before Peter took his hand from Buddy's curls. "'I guess you'd better stay, Booge,' he said then. "'You can sing what he likes better than I can.' "'Well, if you think I can amuse him better than you can, I'll stay, Peter,' said Booge reluctantly. "'If he seems to hanker for you, I'll fire the shotgun and you can come to him.' So one of these two men went to his work, and the other seated himself on the floor of the cabin, with his back against the wall, and sang, "'Go tell the little baby, the baby, the baby,' through his nose." and made faces to amuse a freckle-faced little boy with a very light attack of the measles. End of chapter 7